Here's to the paper pushers, the rush hour warriors, and the gotta get awayers. Trade the daily grind for a place to unwind, where you can rise with the tide and roll down the boardwalk, where you can eat french fries for lunch and ice cream for dinner, where your only commute is your walk to the beach, where every day feels like Saturday. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Welcome to Heaven's Gate. Previously on Heaven's Gate. In 1975, there were two individuals who said that they were from the kingdom of heaven, and those two individuals were T and Do. They said, we are here from outer space. We have a special message for you, for humanity right now. He just happened to say a lot of the things that I had been thinking about. I was really ready to walk out the door of my life at that point. And what we're teaching you is what you need to know to qualify. You have a position waiting for you. She came to tell me goodbye, that they were getting ready to leave, and I, I remember I was crying. Is he all right? Will I ever see him again? Uniqueness was not allowed. You were a cog in the wheel. Yeah, we, you know, we don't know what you're doing. We're worried about you. I'll buy you a ticket. No, I'm happy here. She is definitely in a cult. I'm a bit embarrassed about the fact that I didn't contact you uh, when uh, T left her vehicle or died or however you want to look at it. He should have called my mom, mom, your mom. He shouldn't have called her T because she wasn't T to me. Doe became even more controlling than he had been, and he became a little bit psychotic, and I think that increased over time. With everyone in the room, he just asked each of us individually if we'd be willing to voluntarily, you know, end our life in this world. I said that we would drink a barbiturate that would put ourselves to sleep, you know, permanently. There is something really big out there. The Hale-Bob Comet is 25 miles across. Planet Earth about to be recycled. Your only chance to evacuate is to leave with us. And there's a column here which says, estimated time to return. Avnodi wrote, never. Dorodi wrote, bye. Talodi wrote, so long. My uh, favorite here is uh, Asta La Vista Baby from Glenody. This was a ceremonial ritual end of their lives. <laughs> Maybe you remember at the very beginning of this series, when we met Nancy Brown, she was watching this video. This is a fun part. See them, the cooks in the kitchen whipping up a storm, making dinner and dessert. Oh my gosh. Doesn't that look good? It's right before Christmas, 1996, at the Heaven's Gate Mansion. Got this festoons of decorations, gold and red bows. It's fun to see how they celebrated the holiday. They really did. Hey, I'm to Christmas, my son. 
Nancy's son David has been away from the group for more than a week. So they're in the kitchen, but they're near the front door, and they're all gathering around be- to open the door to welcome back my son. Being warmly embraced. Ol Odie, Pris Odie, Sir Odie, Vern Odie. David squeezes them all and bends over to hug Bryn Odie in her motorized scooter. Then he sees Star Odie. Star Odie. They embrace and she wipes away a few tears. All those hugs and smiles and <laughs> welcome homes. I'm glad to know that he had these things in his life. This whole series, we've talked about the families outside the group, the ones left behind by the suicides. But in this video and the other archives the group kept, it's clear that Heaven's Gate was a family of its own even though they were trying so desperately to be as unattached and as next level as possible. And that helps explain not just how strong their bonds were to each other, but some of why they did what they did. I'm Glenn Washington, and this is the conclusion to Heaven's Gate. Episode 10, The Class. I'll tell you who I am. She and Doe, whatever they want to call us. Whether or not you believe is up to you. You, you, We all have to deal with demons. We're trying to teach you how to prepare yourself. You are members of the next level. The next level. the middle of March, 1997, just a few months after those Christmas videos were filmed. Nancy Brown is coming home after work. She doesn't know what's about to hit her, but she's nervous because someone has clearly been trying to reach her. The three previous nights at 8 p.m. exactly on the dot, the phone rang, but I was sitting in this recliner with my cat on my big, heavy man, Coon, heavy cat. It was hard to, it wasn't easy to get out of there and get out of it because it was, I had it in the reclining position and what was the cat. And so each time, by the time I got to the phone, whoever was there had hung up. And I'd always wished there was some way I could access phone records to find out what number had called me. I wonder, you know, did David try to honor his promise and call me, what would he have said? We're going to take our lives. But he might have said, I'm not going to be available for a very long time. We don't know if David was trying to call her, but we do know that the Heaven's Gate members were not supposed to leak word of what they were doing. 
They planned every step of their exit, including how and when the details would be released. They created a document titled The Routine to be discovered after their deaths. It explained each step of the suicides. They did it in shifts. Fifteen cult members went in the first group, assisted by eight of their classmates. The first 15 put on their black handmade uniforms and their black Nikes with the bright white swishes. Each member gathered his or her belongings into a flight bag and tucked it next to the bed. Each member put a roll of quarters and a $5 bill into a shirt pocket. And when each member was ready, he or she took a large dose of phenobarbital with pudding or applesauce and then a vodka chaser. They pulled a plastic bag over their head and then lay down in their bed. The phenobarbital takes just 10 minutes to start working. The group picked this cocktail because it's supposed to work painlessly. Drowsiness comes first, then coma, then a collapse of the circulatory system. When each member's breathing stopped, the helper would remove the plastic bag and lay a purple shroud over their classmate's body. We don't know why purple. It's the color of the Easter season, the holiday that celebrates Jesus' ascent into heaven, but purple was also Bonnie Lou Nettle's favorite color. When the first group were gone, the second group of 15 repeated the process. Then seven more took their turn. And after them, the last two members had no help. Their bodies would be found with plastic bags still over their heads and no purple shrouds. Nancy Brown's son, David, was one of those final two. Somebody gave me the schedule that they had, some of the papers that were found afterwards, But it was a kind of a shock to me, in a way, that David was one of the people in the last group, so they had seen to it that all the others were deceased before they undertook the process. David loved these people. I mean, they had been together such a long time. I don't know. My spirit, my... My mind, my body can't hold it. It just, it's incomprehensible to me. The group saw their process through without interruption. The house stood quiet for a couple of days. And then five different people around the country received packages in the mail. They were people that Doe trusted. One of them, Rio D'Angelo, was a former member of Heaven's Gate. And when Rio opened the box, he found two videotapes, computer discs and some letters, and a set of instructions. Rio went to the Heaven's Gate mansion outside San Diego. The drapes were pulled shut, the windows closed, but the letter specified that the door by the kitchen would be open. Rio knew what he might find behind the door. 
He sprayed cologne on his shirt and pulled it up over his nose. Then he entered the mansion and turned on the video camera that he brought with him. He walked through the building, recording in quiet. And then Rio called the police. Hello? Yes, um, I need to uh, report uh, uh, an anonymous tip. Who do I talk to? Uh, okay, this is regarding what? And, uh, this is regarding a mass suicide, and I can give you the address. An officer arrived on the scene. He approached the side door, but before he could even enter, he smelled the decay coming from inside. The officer called for backup. Topic of news at 11 is a story that's making news across the nation and across the world, an apparent mass suicide in Rancho Santa Fe. Investigators suspect suicide because they saw no obvious signs of struggle. The occupants, it was said, seemed to belong to some kind of cult. Nancy Brown heard the news the way a lot of people did. I had the, my radio on last time I listened to the radio at night, and it was like 6 o'clock, so there was a news bulletin. You're looking at the site where 39 young men have been found dead, men believed to be in a religious group, men who dressed alike, and men with an apparent tragic mission, mass suicide. But at first, Nancy didn't understand what had really happened. I thought, oh, my goodness, what is that? And I thought, well, it couldn't be David's group because David had, was almost half women, half men. All those short haircuts and the baggy uniforms confused the first responders. And that gave false hope to some families, like Gail Mater's parents in Long Island. And I saw it on the front of the, the body laying on the bed there with the purple shroud on it. Uh, on the front of the newspaper, and I thought, and it said 39 dead in a cult in San Diego. And I thought, oh my God, look at this. This is terrible, 39. But thank God it's not, my, it's not our cult. They're all men. But then Alice's husband, Bobby, saw a face that he recognized. He said, you better sit down on the couch. He said, uh, Apple White's been on the screen all night. I think we're in trouble. Yeah, and we were. If there are 39 bodies in there, and possibly more, they're going to have to make sure that nobody was murdered to determine that actually everybody did commit suicide and how that happened. So then the TV kept saying, at 12 o'clock noon, the, the sheriff and the, the chief administrators there in the county were going to make an official statement. So I'm sitting by the TV, all ready to listen to this special announcement and the phone rang. I had a bad feeling about that. I picked it up, and this very kindly voice said, Hello, is Nancy Brown? Yes. I'm so-and-so. I'm the coroner. Coroner of San Diego County. There's only one reason why he'd be calling me. I heard a loud sound. It was a scream. It was a, a moan. You know what keening is in some cultures? That's what it was. And I thought, oh my God, that's me. It came out of me. I think they may have asked me 
did I want the body or did I want it to be cremated? And I said, cremation, please. And that to tell the mortuary that I would, I would come personally to pick it up. And then picked up the ashes. And then when I picked up the ashes, they gave me his duffel bag. That's what's left of David. I've got this duffel bag. Families around the country were getting the same call. We found out from the coroner we wouldn't get her back for eight days because they were doing thorough uh, autopsies and stuff. And he just said to Bobby, if it's any consolation to you, she died very peacefully. And, uh, well, that's no consolation. She's dead, so what are you going to do? Bobby said to the coroner, uh, do we come out there or what? And he said, we can ship the body back or we can... Oh, you're going to have a cremated. And Bobby said, cremator, because first of all, I did want to see her in a box. And then I said that was the best way to do it because we couldn't have seen her. I wouldn't want to see her like that. She came home, uh, postal post. And all around the families, while they're absorbing this blow, the world is exploding with the news. Coroner's officials have stopped the refrigerated truck carrying as many as 20 victims. We're going to begin tonight with the strange suicide of the 39. It's very strange. These freaks in the mansion in California. Who were they? Where'd they come from? Who raised them? They were members of a religious cult believed to be led by a man, Marshall Applewhite. Marshall Applewhite. There are apparently some tapes available of this gentleman. In the 70s, describing himself as a space-age shepherd. People referred to themselves as monks yeah, they seem and made a living by creating computer websites. Alice and Bobby Mater just tried to hang on. And it was so chaos around here with the media. The people from People magazine said, you know, she said, you can't have these people traipsing through your house. She said, put a sign-up sheet. Why were you so generous with your time in your in this time of grief? Actually helped us get through it. Yeah. We were so busy with this stuff that we couldn't feel sorry for ourselves. No, and we couldn't, yeah, we talked. In fact, she died March 26th, and Easter Sunday was coming up right after that, and they took us in the city and put us up in a hotel under a fictitious name so we could do uh, Good Morning America. And uh, that's the first time Bobby and I were alone and could talk about it. And, you know, it was already three or four days old. After more than a week, Gail's belongings finally arrived home, along with her remains. It didn't hit me until I had the ashes in the car, taking them to the cemetery. Deirdre said, do you want to take them on your lap? And I said, yeah, yeah. And I held the ashes, and I did fine, until I got to the gravesite, and his friend put his arm around me. And then I realized this was my baby, and she's gone. Oh. And that's when I broke down. That's the first time I broke down since she died. Because I didn't have time to even think that, you know. And when she came back in ashes form, I thought, oh, my God. And I wanted this little girl so desperately. When I was pregnant, um, Bobby's cousins in Europe had 22 boys. And she was the second girl. <laughs> and I wanted, I said, what's the chances I'm going to have a girl? And I wanted, I said, God, just let me have a little girl. Then you can give me 10 more, all boys. I don't care, but just I want this little girl. And I didn't have her long enough, you know. The 
Heaven's Gate suicides gripped the world's attention that March and April. And then other news began to take over. But the story wasn't finished yet because not all the people who believed in Tian Do were at the mansion that day. And for some of those believers, the lingering question was, could they still catch up with their leaders in heaven? That's ahead in just a moment. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. We're back. Hi, my name is Rick Cody. And by the time that you see this tape, um, I'll be gone. Uh, Rick Cody was not one of the Heaven's Gate members who died in March of 1997. But this is his exit video. Rick Cody's birth name is Chuck Humphrey. I'm not dying. I'm not going to be dead. I am simply leaving this vehicle. I know that's going to be hard for people to take. I know that with the response that people have had from my older members and... It's April, uh, 1997. And Chuck is recording from a Holiday Inn Express in Encinitas, California. Uh, I'll be leaving this vehicle, and they will probably find this vehicle in a motel somewhere. And uh, I'm going to be leaving in much the same way that my classmates and my older member left. Chuck's not alone either. He's there with another former member, Just Odie, also known as Wayne Cook. I'm sane and I'm happy. And I uh, want very much to follow my classmates and, and my teachers, T and Doe. Wayne and Chuck had each joined Heaven's Gate in the 1970s and had come and gone over nearly 20 years. They'd each parted with the group in the months before the final exit. But Wayne's wife, Sylvia Cook, Slavodi, she died with the class. I'm so glad that T guided me back to Dome. And I'm so glad that we'll be joining T again in the next level very soon. Just days before coming to this Holiday Inn, Wayne had gone on 60 Minutes to try to explain Heaven's Gate and stand up for his departed friends. It wasn't a a frivolous thing. Of course, many that joined, joined in a frivolous sense and dropped away very quickly. But you were very serious. Yes. And your wife went with you. I'm very serious about it now. Still, even though you had left, you're still serious about it right now. Yes. But by now, Wayne and Chuck had decided it would be better to try to follow Doe 
and the class. And so they make their beds, they drink their cocktails, and they lie down and await the next level. At about 12.17, we got to the hotel, we asked for the key, we told the manager what we believed was going on, uh, that we had two people that may uh, have attempted to commit suicide or maybe in the process of attempting to commit suicide. We did uh, open up the door with the key and found one uh, person deceased in the hotel room and another person unconscious. Wayne Cook died according to plan, but something went wrong in Chuck's procedure and he survived. Chuck spent time recovering in the hospital and then in a mental ward. And finally, he went home. He was alone, but nothing had changed in his beliefs. Chuck decided it was now his job to share the group's message with everyone that he could. And that's how Chuck got connected with one young college student all the way across the country in Rochester, New York. To give you some background, I went to college actually to study computer science. I was a computer geek. I was a um, sci-fi fan, so you can set the stage however you'd like there. But I fall in love with the study of religion. Ben Zeller. He's been our voice of authority on Heaven's Gate since we started this, but back then... I am taking a course in um, spring 1997 uh, on messianism and millennialism. So ideas about messiahs, savior figures, and ideas about the end of the world. And Heaven's Gate occurs. The, the suicides occur March 1997. Like everyone else, I was transfixed by the media spectacle of it. And slowly, bit by bit, details dribble out about what they actually believed. And so I pull up the website and I start reading what's there, and I spend literally hours. Remember, I just, I just sat down at my computer. I can still remember. I sat down. Uh, I had this like little f- rickety folding table thing that my computer was sitting on, and I sat there, and it, it was not a comfortable chair, and I just kept reading for hours and hours. What would feel like an ending for so many in March of that year, for Ben, it would be his beginning the seed of his life's work. And it occurred to me, as, I don't know, 18-year-old, 19-year-old, whatever I was, that what the media was presenting about this group actually didn't match what the group themselves said. I tried to track down ex-members, and one of the members uh, who I was able to track down was was Rick, or Ricody, Chuck Humphreys. And I got to know Ricody. I got to know him online through our emails, and eventually we talked by phone. And he was honestly a nice guy. And he told me about his his lifelong struggle with trying to figure out the meaning of life, basically. It sounds trite to us, but you have to remember this is a guy who joined and left and joined and left, and eventually, in his mind, he finally found what he was looking for. Ben tried to understand what Chuck's plans were. Naively, I asked, uh, are you going to stay on Earth? Are, do you see yourself as, as having a mission here, or, or do you see yourself as exiting? And he said to me, this was an email correspondence, he said to me that he believed that the next level had given him a mission here on Earth, and that he had a task to complete. Those were his words, a task to complete here on Earth. 
And then only a month and a half after that, he tried to take her. He succeeded in taking his own life. Hi, my name is Rick Cody. By the time that you see this tape, um, I'll be gone. But Cody didn't record another exit video for a second attempt. He'd said everything he wanted the first time. Please, don't look at my older member, don't look at, the, at my classmates, and don't look at me as having died. We have not died. We have simply moved out of these vehicles. I remember thinking, shit, should I have known this? Should I have realized that this man was, was going to do this? He said to me, no. He would actually said to me, no, he wasn't. Did he lie to me? Did I miss something? And if I had, should I have done something? Should I have tried to talk him out of it? Should I have called the police or something? And I still wrestle with that. I mean, he really believed he was freeing his soul to go join his companions in outer space and achieve eternal salvation. Ricotti, Chuck Humphrey, was one of four former cult members who took their own lives after the initial 39. The others were Wayne Cook, Jim Simpson, and Wayne Parker. The final total was 43. What Ricotti's death did for me was it reminded me of the seriousness of this. Someone I knew lived and died believing it. And how could I not take it seriously? How could I not continue trying to figure it out? I, I, I don't know if I would be as involved in the study of the group if, if, if Ricotti hadn't have done what he did. I've studied Heaven's Gate for, for two decades, and it is no less sad now than it was then. But I have to recognize that it's sad for me and it wasn't for them. They really believed they were choosing an end on their own terms, and for them it wasn't tragic. When we come back, I want to return to some of the questions I asked at the beginning of this story, way back when. And I'll tackle a couple of new questions, too. That's in a minute. We're back. So, 20 years after Heaven's Gate, where does their departure leave us? What exactly happened here? And what do we take away from it? Well, I think there are a few possible answers. Number one, 39 people committed suicide, or 43 all told. And now their ashes and remains are sitting in a box or on a mantle, buried underground, are sitting unclaimed with the local authorities. And that's it. That's how this aspirational, deluded group ended. And for whatever reason, 
They believe something impossible, something ridiculous and foolish, and they follow those beliefs through to the end. And now they no longer are. Answer number two. I'm going to ask for you to bear with me for a moment. But maybe, maybe, maybe they're on that UFO. Maybe they knew something that we don't, and they exited at just the right time to greet Bonnie Lou Nettles on the spaceship, and now they're all together. Nettles and Applewhite and David and Gail and Erica and Jimmy and Wayne and Chuck and all of them, enjoying the beginnings of an eternity on the next level together. That's what they believed. And we have to admit, it's no more absurd than any other article of faith, than any other religious idea that we can't prove right or wrong like reincarnation or the parting of the Red Sea or even the resurrection of Jesus. To believe in these things, you take them on faith. So I suppose there's a chance they made it. And some part of me and probably some part of you hopes they did make it. But even if they did, that doesn't really do anything for the suffering the group left in their wake. Sometimes I wonder if it helps that Doe seemed sincere, that he seemed earnest in his beliefs and didn't want to hurt his people, not the way Jim Jones or David Koresh hurt their followers. I think that Doe, even in the end, I think Doe really believed he was helping people find their own salvation. To us, it would be suicide to not leave. It is to take life to leave this body behind. It is to significantly take life. This is not life to us. This is like living in a civilization that is barbaric, that is primitive in comparison to the level above human. But listening to Doe there, I think, so what? So what if he meant what he said? Who cares if Doe was a cynical murderer or a genuine prophet? The harm that he did seems nearly the same. And for me, it's it's more helpful to think about the members, the followers, and what they found in Heaven's Gate. This is from that same home video the group made around Christmas of 1996, the video that Nancy Brown watches every year. The group was standing on a little stage in the living room, singing a melody from The Sound of Music, but with all the words rewritten. Our resident scholar, Ben Zeller, he's seen this video too. It is a... A song celebrating their dedication to Doe as a leader and and to T, who, of course, has has left the earth. And it's, on the one hand, it's cute and it's it's sort of cringe-worthily bad in some ways because they're not all great singers. 
And it's obviously sort of like in a Weird Al version. It's, it's a riff on another song. It's a parody of another song. But ultimately, the lyrics are, are talking about what is dead serious, which is the group is planning on leaving the planet. The exits, the suicides. And it's all wrapped up in one. Yes, it's weird and kind of random. Except maybe not, when you remember that Bonnie Lunettles watched The Sound of Music all the time with her daughter Terry, and that Marshall Applewhite was a talented choir director before he became Doe. The same night the group sang the hymn to T and Doe, they had a talent show. (laughs) This is Thirst Odie playing the William Tell Overture on his hands. And like all good talent shows, the talent part is debatable, but that's what made it fun. (laughs) These members... The whole project of their lives was to try and cut away their humanness, to shed it for higher pursuits. But that humanity, it just kept flowing back in. For example, the talent show had two guys juggle together, really good juggling, switching like six balls between them. And you watch that and you think, Huh. To juggle like this, they must have been sneaking in practice between meditation and lectures. And then the cult member who calls herself Melody walks up on stage and says, Well, uh, it occurred to me that you had never seen my Elvis Presley impersonation. <laughs> and her Elvis Presley impersonation is she drops to the floor and lies like a dead person in a coffin. Because Elvis is dead, get it? Honestly, in here the group looks like a bunch of giddy nerds. The kids who got picked on at school, and they found a safe space together. It is both heartening to see this and to, to listen to this. And it's also, for me, profoundly affecting because not even four months later in the very same rooms in which they're laughing and enjoying each other's company, their bodies, their vehicles are lying dead. They died as they lived, together. Leaving it to the families to sort out what to do with those bodies and those images. And those families, they're still doing that. When Ben Zeller looks at Heaven's Gate, he sees that heartbreak, and he sees the people who caused it. All of us have to speak for the dead whom we know, and for this is a this is a group which I've studied and which I've spent years of my life trying to understand. And while I don't want to defend them, that's not my job. I have no interest in defending suicide. I have no interest in defending belief in extraterrestrials as as, as gods. 
I have no interest in, in defending claims about flying saucers. What I do want to do is explain why it made sense to them. And why, if at the end of the day, if you want to dismiss them as, as nutcases, that's your choice. But at least understand what it was that they believed. Uh, and that there was more to the group than just 40-odd people who committed suicide by popping some barbiturates in a mansion in San Diego one day. Zeller's respect for these people has been so important for my understanding of the group. But so has been Frank Lyford and his lasting pain. Now, you remember Frank. Frank lost his ex-girlfriend, Erica, in the suicides. For months, actually for years, I would wake up from dreaming about her. And the dreams were more vivid than everyday living. The setting of the dream would be with other class members. But then Eric and I would have a chance to, to go off and walk together and talk with each other. And, and I would wake up from the dream just heartbroken. I've been married and divorced twice. My relationships, AC, after cult, were um, not very successful because of my own suppression that still remained from the cult. I'm actually over the past month, I'm actually coming to terms with my own anger with myself over having spent 18 years in the prime of my life in a cloistered, controlling situation that ended up not being fulfilling in the long run. This community that Frank feels poisoned him and cut off his ability to form the relationships that he wanted. That's the community that Sawyer still believes in. Sawyer still listens for signals from T and Doe, and he's nostalgic for the days he could look his prophets in the face. I'm coming to terms more with what I was a part of, you know. Uh, it was out of this world. There's nothing like it. But also in Sawyer, you can still hear some of that detachment the group cultivated, the intentional inhumanness. Here's what Sawyer said about the suicides. I was shocked, but not entirely. Because I, it's not like I didn't, wasn't aware of that potential. I just didn't know. You know, we talked about a lot of things over the years. But, you know, this one we talked about more than the other things. But these are people you... Part of the territory. You well, knew. See, but I didn't have an emotional connection with any of them, except for Doe and, and T. I know they were not doing it out of any manipulation. I knew it was their joy to do that, even though it was a difficult joy. And it had... The sadness was part of it was that they knew the world was going to respond as if they were manipulated by this evil person. Heaven's Gate left so many materials behind to try to explain themselves to the world. It's just those tapes and the website and the pages and pages of theology that they left 
they don't help a family like the Maters. Like I say, I don't for a minute think that she thought she was going to die. After that time that Gail called home, Alice Mater never got another personal word from her daughter. It's like the cult swallowed her whole. I don't believe she ever went into this thing of eating this stuff and laying down and going to wake up and go aboard a spaceship because her, it was all in their brain. That, that part of their brain wasn't functioning. That This isn't right. This isn't what's going to happen. I'm not mm. going to lay down and go to sleep with this poison in me and I'm going to get up and go on a spaceship. No, this isn't right. So I don't believe there's a belief system at all. I think it's all in the brainwashing that he did on them. That was a mass murder. Mm. One suicide, him, the leader, Applewhite. Yeah. The other 37, in my mind, that's mass murder. In a sense, we're body snatchers because we came and incarnated into these human bodies and now we're leaving these human bodies behind. I hope you don't take that as a crude joke. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, did exactly the same thing. If you feel rage at Doe, like the Maters feel, and so many families do, that is absolutely fair. But let's not forget, the vision of Heaven's Gate was formed by two people, not one. My older member was with me for this task for 10 years. And then it was the right time for my older member to return to the evolutionary level above human. And in a few days, I'm going to see my older member. That's what makes it kind of exciting in the next level because there's always something going on, you know. <laughs> Never a dull moment. Without Bonnie Lou Nettles, without T, there'd be no Heaven's Gate. T brought so many of the big ideas, the channeling messages from the beyond, past lives, the Eastern disciplines, Meditation to conquer attachments. The aliens were her idea. And when T died in 1986, Doe pointed to her as God the Father, the one calling the class home. The whole mission from that point was to reunite with T. God knows what you need better than you know yourself. If your mother had remain with Applewhite. Do you think that the suicides would have happened? Nope. I can say that with a hundred per... Well, I can't say it with a hundred percent. Terry Nettles, Bonnie Lou's daughter. I can say 99.9% surety that, they, that it would have never happened. My mom had... Being a, being a nurse, she believed that life was not something that was our choice to take. T was a long way from being a nurse when she died. Her ideas about healing had become more magical than medical. None of us really knows what T would have done had she lived. Still, Terry has a pretty compelling theory about what went wrong with dough. Pride plays a big part in a lot of things that humans do, you know? And, and I think he continued it on, but when 12 years later had come and nothing still had happened, I think it was easier 
to commit suicide and not have to face family, friends, the media, anybody, you know, and explain that, I don't know, I don't know what happened. It was easier to, to say that they were going to join my mom, you know, on a UFO. It's been 20 years since the class exited. And that's 20 years of families trying to understand the reasons and facing the same questions over and over again from the world. And whatever perspective the families have come to, it's been earned. I'm especially struck by Nancy Brown's. The pain of her son David's death doesn't ever go away. I can't respect suicide. I don't think suicide is right. I I think life wants to live. But when Nancy watches those home videos, the Christmas party, the talent show, Nancy finds comfort. Because she's not just watching David. She's watching how David is with his friends. Hey, you guys, come on, come on, come on, come on. And maybe that's what surprises us about seeing these videotapes of the group out, you know, enjoying SeaWorld or whatever is, it reminds us of their humanity. And even though they stoutly believed in beliefs that may seem crazy, you know, they were very human. And to me, his life wasn't a loss because he lived it. He tried to live up to his humanity and not harm others and uh, be kind and appreciate others. And I think at least so many of the members that I did know for a time, I was impressed that they all seemed to have this kindness, you know, and uh, not, they weren't monsters. (laughs) And they weren't out to do people in. It had nothing to do with that. What do we take from Heaven's Gate? I think it comes down to this, that there will always be more questions than answers, that empathy might be the only meaningful way to fill the gap, and that the same beliefs and fiery devotions that draw us together and bond us to one another in the ways that make life worth living can turn on us in an instant and burn us to the ground. Heaven's Gate is produced by Stitcher in collaboration with Pineapple Street Media. Anne Hefferman is our senior producer and Peter Clowney is our executive editor. Our associate producers are Barry Finkel, Diane Hodson, and Josh Gwynn. Casey Holford is our composer and technical director our interns are Osa Secker and Jess Hackle. Dan Taberski is our editorial consultant, scholarship and consulting by Ben Zeller. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon, Jenna Weiss-Berman, and Max Linsky. Special thanks 
to Ginny Radlin, John Asante, Jasmine Aguilera, Henry Malofsky, Chris Barabee, and to the studios, Shine On Studios, Youth Radio, and 25th Street. And a big, heartfelt thank you to the family members, friends, and current members of Heaven's Gate who shared their stories with us. We are so grateful for your openness, your generosity. Tale of Heises, Carrie Ann, Robert Balk, Jason Bartell, Nancy Brown, Kelly Cook, Steve Hassan, N. Diana Jones, Leslie Light, Frank Leifert, Terry Nettles, Alice and Bobby Mader, thank you, Max Pavasek, Sawyer, and Deb Simpson. I'm Glenn Washington. And one more time, I want to emphasize, suicide is never an answer. If the idea even crosses your mind, please reach out and ask for help. There are people waiting to talk to you. One excellent resource is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's free. It's confidential and available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The number is 1-800-273-8255. That number again, 1-800-273-8255. Or just remember, 1-800-273-TALK. But we don't want them to say T and do will come because we will not come again. <laughs> you better not say that. I don't think. I may be wrong. <laughs> I, I may be wrong, but I hope not. No. But we're willing. <laughs> Stitcher. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday, and French fries are a food group, where flip flops are always in fashion, and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling, and the beach is right outside your door where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com.